This episode of The Transmission is brought to you by Audible.com, the leader in spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. For details, go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. Aloha from the Island Lost fans, and welcome to a special edition of The Transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And once again, we're breaking into our Season 3 rewatch to bring you more audio from the recent celebration of Lost at the Hawaii International Film Festival. Now, last time, we shared an evening with Damon and Carlton from the Royal Hawaiian Theater, which capped off the day-long Lost events. Now, we're jumping back to the first of three master classes, which were held at the Regal Dome. Cannery 18 Theaters in Evilay. The topic for this masterclass was producing and directing a hit show. After a short introduction by film festival director Chuck Bowler, we'll hear from co-executive producer Gene Higgins, as well as Honolulu Film Office Commissioner Valea Constantino. In subsequent weeks, we'll share audio for the other two masterclasses. Now remember, you only have a few days left to get in your feedback for our next regularly scheduled podcast as part of our Season 3 review, so get out those DVDs and revisit episodes 13, 14, and 15. That's The Man from Tallahassee for Locke, Expose for Nikki and Paulo, and Left Behind for Kate. We'd love your thoughts for our November 8th podcast, so please email us at lost at hawaiiup.com, comment on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost, or call the Lost line at 815-310-0808. Remember, everybody who emails us during the hiatus review is entered to win a bunch of special Lost prizes from Comic-Con, the other's Lost band, and from Nikki Stafford, the author of the series of books called Finding Lost. Also next week, more filming up updates from here on the island, but if you can't wait, I often break shooting news on my blog at hawaiiweblog.com. And as always, you can often get more of us than you could ever possibly want by following us on Twitter. I'm at Hawaii. And I'm at Mrs. Hawaii. Now we'll get to the audio from the Masterclass in just one minute, but first we wanted to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by the very good folks at audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 50,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere just like the transmission and thanks to audible.com you can get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today now if you've always wanted to read the many books mentioned on lost audible.com is a great way to go or if you'd like to try something different you could check out for example flash forward by robert j sawyer it's narrated by mark deacons and this unabridged edition from the 1999 novel describes a world where everyone blacks out and sees a vision of their lives 21 years in the the future. I hear there's some kind of series based yeah, on it. Yeah, there's this. a TV show based on it. Yeah. You might want to check that out. Yeah. In any case, you can make it your free pick with this offer. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. That's audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. And again, we really want to thank the folks at audible.com. They've helped us out quite a bit and they helped get us to Comic-Con earlier this year. So that's due in large part to those of you who've tried them out. And if you haven't, I'd encourage you to because if you like podcasts, I think you're going to like audiobooks. But Without further delay, let's get to the Hawaii International Film Festival's Celebration of Lost, Masterclass Number 1, producing and directing a hit show. Aloha. Thanks for coming to our first Masterclass with our HIF Celebrates Lost. October 17th is 
lost day at HIF. So we really appreciate everybody being here today. Very exciting. Uh, and uh, we're thrilled that, uh, that, that ABC and Disney have been working with us on the event. And I want to personally thank Gene Higgins very much and Vallea Constantino for helping us put the whole lost day together. We couldn't have done it without Gene and uh, backed up by Vallea. So I thank that very much. And ABC has worked closely with us. Also, we have other people uh, who come in from ABC here uh, up in the booth and in the audience as well. And I, I thank Noreen and Donna and Andrea as well for all the, the hard work they put into this. Uh, people say master classes, what are you going to walk away with? A degree? Well, you walk with a lot of knowledge. You call it a seminar or a panel. You know, what is it? Master class is what it is because of the, the uh, expertise and such involved here today. Uh, you're open, uh, you know, it's going to be a, a discussion, uh, a Q&A, but the one area we ask you not to uh, explore is the season that's being shot right now. Because <laughs> the questions are not going to be answered, right? So they're in active production right now. In fact, Jack Bender, who is going to be here today, is editing right now. So he couldn't be here. He sends his apologies. We know that Jean can, can uh, carry the, the whole thing herself, so we appreciate her doing that as well and send our best luck to Jack on the editing today. But to thanks all of you for coming. We really appreciate it very much. Now I want to introduce Valeria Constantino. For the few in the room who don't know her, she's the Honolulu Film Commissioner. She's a lady that brings the films to Hawaii and makes it work here. She gets the permits. If she ever is out of work, I want to hire her immediately to run the Hawaiian National no, I Film Festival. <laughs> <laughs> I had a fist fight with Jean over who gets to hire her. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce Valeria Constantino, Honolulu Film Commissioner. Valeria. Thank you very much, Chuck. I think we will start with, uh, if anybody really doesn't know about it, sort of a big splash presentation about Lost. Uh, the booth could roll that, and then I will introduce Jean. Those people were brought there 
not by chance, it was a mysterious twist of fate. The hatch really surprised me. When Kate got caught by the others and they had the gun to her head. It goes between human interest and sci-fi. It's just stunning. It's called Lost and we are now joined by three of the stars. In my shoe, Kate's in the front and laughed. It's really exciting to talk to all the press and really hear from them how great they think the show is and the effect it's having in their various countries. We couldn't think of a better way to set the stage for today. And of course, Jean Higgins. What can I say about Jean Higgins? Let me read you a little bit. You may not realize um, all of the things that Jean has had a chance to do in her life. Um, one of the most astounding things is that she has been responsible for over $700 million worth of production in her career. Uh, she's involved... That just means I'm good at spending money. <laughs> <laughs> and people who trust her to spend that money, that's the most important thing. She's been involved in marketing and distribution of over 40 feature motion pictures. Uh, she's been recognized... Uh, excuse me, the lights just threw me off. Uh, <laughs> um, overseeing the development and production of over 60 feature-length motion pictures has produced numerous television commercials and music videos. Uh, she's produced for major studios as well as independents. And of course, she is currently producing the top-rated television show in the world, Lost. Please welcome Jean Higgins. Thank you for being here today. This is actually a lot of fun. And as you can tell from what we just saw, I get to have a lot of fun. And so, so we thought we, we've got a very loose format here. We thought we would talk to you. We've pulled two clips, two sequences that we thought were very indicative of sort of the breadth and the scope of Lost. Uh, I thought I would talk you through that. I'm very sorry that Jack couldn't be here. But let me tell you, the season opener is going to be a doozy, and he's editing it right now. And no, if I told you I'd have to kill you, so don't ask. <laughs> um, but it's going to be great. And uh, so let's get started. So we thought we'd set a foundation today with the question, can you tell us a little bit about what does a director do, what does a producer do, and how do you interface with all of the other departmental people that work for you? It really, the one thing I love about the film business is there are no fine boundaries. The boundaries sort of shift with every project. But in general, the director is responsible for the creative look and feel of the show. The producer is responsible for everything from saying, okay, here's the script, uh, sometimes acquiring that script, what it will cost, how we put it together, and how we deliver the finished product. And 
in that case, that means you have to interface and work with a lot of people, the director being the main one, the writers, of course. Uh, but essentially, while the director is busy focusing his vision and figuring out how he's going to shoot those sequences, what lenses, what does he want to do, how is he going to talk to the actors, I'm busy figuring out with the director where we're going to shoot it, all the elements that are required to put that together. What is the timeline? How are we going to do it? Sometimes it's, are we going to shoot it live action? Are we going to shoot it green screen? Are we going to shoot it with visual effects? What is the most cost effective way? And in television, that's a lot more intense even than in features. Um, what is the best way to do it? It's sort of, what I love about it is it's like a huge puzzle. And there is no correct answer except how good are you? Because the shortest amount of time, the least amount of dollars, the best scope of the visual, that's what you need to bring to it. So I think that's sort of And I know we have a lot of aspiring filmmakers as well as veteran filmmakers here. What do you think are the key traits that lead someone to either become a director or become a producer? How do you begin to look at that and select those paths? I think directors have more of a burning desire to tell a story. They, they have a vision and they want to get that vision out there. I knew that I wanted to be in the film business, but my, what I have found over the years that my forte is putting things together. Putting people together, like you will work great with you over there because you bring these things to it and you bring these things to it. And even though you don't know each other, this is a marriage that needs to be made. And out of that marriage will come bigger and better things. Um, so that's, that's sort of what I'm good at. And it's very interesting because I've realized over the years that I have put together a lot of people who have Academy Awards now, have this, but I'm still putting people together, which is okay. And what's really the difference between putting together that team and that, that whole spirit of collaboration that occurs between film and television. There, there are differences in that, aren't there? There are definitely differences. In, well, I'm sure you guys can hear me. In film, you have a lot more development time. You, you have time to really get down to deeper levels of meaning and deeper levels of visuals. One of the reasons I love Lost is we're able to straddle that line. It, it, it is so different for television. If I'm doing a feature, I will cast the crew to the director as much as the actors are cast to the part. For television, you have to look at it and say, we have 10 months of grueling work, and you have to cast, if you have two people of equal ability, equal quality, you have to look at it and say, who can 150 other people still be living with 10 months later? And who's going to be the bump in the road that's going to cause the problems? And you have to put together a group of people because we spend more time with each other than we do with our families. We spend 12, 14 hours a day with each other, five and six days a week. You need these people to get along. So I think a lot of my job is actually being a cheerleader. You know, it's like, come on, guys, we could do one more. Just up that hill. I know it's slippery and it's been raining, but we can get there. And they do, and they're great. They, they really are. 
So we have the privilege today to also have uh, Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse later on in the day, uh, and they are the showrunners. If, if you could talk a little bit about how you interface with the showrunners, how all that works. I think you do probably more of the day-to-day, -day, but how does all of that integrate? Well, we, again, are sort of strange because our showrunners stay in Los Angeles. The showrunners are essentially, in television, I would say the difference is television is definitely a writer's medium. The writers run the show. These are the people who have to deliver scripts week in, week out. Uh, I couldn't do it. My hat's off to them. They're amazing. The, in a feature, it's really more of a director's medium. So you really have to gear your production and your head to the medium you're working in. In terms of the showrunners, I would say for Jack and I on the island here, Jack will have multiple conversations with them over the course of preparing for a certain episode. You know, what did you really mean when you want this? Or, you know, is this, is this the way this character is flowing and is this where we're taking them? My conversations are more with Carlton Cuse, who's sort of the more businessy end of the Damon Carlton combination. And my questions are more along the lines of, um, Carlton, you know, we're going to finish the medical hatch and I'm running out of stage space. And do you think I strike it or do I fold it? The difference is, do I throw it away or do I put it in the warehouse and bring it back another time? Um, or you know, I need to know down these lines, you know, where's the story going so I can make arrangements. Or we all think they are writing in an actor for a future episode, but darn, that actor's actually on another series. And now I need to work with the producer on that series to work out both our schedules so that actor can do both shows. So, so you have a lot of interaction with other producers on other shows while you're doing your own. Yes. And it's a fairly small community. You all know each other and talk to um, each other? If we didn't know each other, I would say by the time I finish Lost, I probably know most of them. But <laughs> <laughs> there's always people that you don't. But I will say, for example, the finale last year. Um, you know, many of you know that Liz Mitchell is in another series. And uh, so it's working with them to make sure that works. Uh, there's, there's always, and guest stars are always trying to do multiple shows. How do you work with a guest director that comes in and, and have him interface into this family that you've sort of molded so that everyone can work together? And all of a sudden you have this new member of the family who's really just kind of dating because he's the guest director. My hat's off to these guys. I think it has to be so hard. The first thing we do is we send them the scripts that have occurred for that season so that they can get themselves up to speed on the storyline and that happens before they ever show up. These guys have seven days to come in and prep an episode. That's all they get. Um, it's, it is amazing. We will send them DVDs of past shows. We pull clips and screen grabs for things from the previous, because as everybody knows, we're serialized. So what happened to the character, like, let's say they're doing a show about Hurley. Well, what was Hurley doing last time? And we'll pull those, and we will make it so that we give them sort of a crash course in what's happening with that character and where we were before. Then they show up. 
we usually spend two or three days location scouting, looking for locations for their show. The whole time this is going on, they're having conversations with Jack Bender uh, as to the the overall, to make sure that it all fits within the parameters of, of what Lost is. You know I mean? Sometimes you'll get somebody who wants to be sort of more bright lights, shiny streets, and Lost is a gritty show. You know, it's it's a dirty show. It's, we're dirty, you know? It's like, but uh, just thank you for the chance to get dressed up. Um, <laughs> well, it's so interesting that you have you know, this continuity of story, and this very strong continuity of story, for those of you who watch it on DVD, you can really see how that all hangs together well, and yet you then identify that there are these guest directors that drop in from time to time and supplant the whole effort, and maintaining that continuity is just bravo, hats off to you on that. Well, thank you. And a lot of it has to do with our department heads, who are very protective of what goes on and what happens from episode to episode. Uh, the next class after me is the whole art department, and you'll see Zach Grobler, who is just brilliant. And his production designs are amazing. And he also has his time with each director, and he walks them through each thing. So and then the wardrobe, uh, wardrobe designer comes in, and he talks them through. So, no, this character is in these kinds of lines and these kinds of clothes, because even their clothes make a statement. And, we keep finding new clothes and suitcases. <laughs> so everyone knows that Lost is, is very unusual. Um, what makes it so different creatively, and how does that translate to the on-the-ground physical production that occurs? I think it really started with the pilot, because the pilot the pilot as it was definitely going to be a go pilot because Lloyd Braun from the studio it was his idea he wanted to do it he had asked JJ I mean this is a well-known story by now he had asked JJ to do it JJ said no too busy um, there was a lot of it is like oh my god survivors on an island what do you do you wait around to get rescued there's not too much drama there um, and so they, Lloyd came back asked JJ to do again he brought in Damon and the two of them, I think, just created magic. Plus what I look at when I go to say, well, do you accept this project or this project? I look at what's going on in the world. I mean, this is my own sort of private thing. Is, is I look at it, the economy was sort of going downhill and, and it was a, a project about people on this most gorgeous place on earth and there was a sense of escapism to it. There wasn't a script yet, so it was all on what J.J. was telling me. And I thought, this is great. This is a show that is really going to go someplace and say something. So once we got to the pilot, and I thought, well, okay, it'll be a nice-sized pilot. And I was lucky. I've, I've done other pilots. And coming from features, I got to do the big ones, like West Wing. And um, so... I thought, well, we'll get an airplane. I'll find some little airplane hulk, like a 727 or over here or something. <laughs> and then JJ calls up and says, oh, no, it's got to be a wide body. And uh, I'm like, okay. So I called the studio and goes, JJ wants a wide body. And they went all right. So now a little side thing. My dad worked for Lockheed all his life. So one day I call up my dad and I go, hey, dad, I just thought I'd let you know I just bought an L-1011. 
his his answer was, "You are in the strangest business." <laughs> but um, so the scope of the show was really set by the pilot, and coming from features, that's the scope that I understood. To me, I think cinematically. Now, there are times where, yes, from close-up to close-up to close-up works, but to me, the sort of, the iconic moments of Lost are the cinematic moments. One of my personal favorites is the golf game, which was shot in the ridge of Kualoa, as you all know. And it was really about the scene, was about the camaraderie of what was going on and the, the coming together and Hurley had figured out that they really all needed a break from the smoke monster and the tension and the this. And so out comes the golf clubs. And for that last cut where you hit the ball and the expected next cut is to watch the ball drop into the cut. And that wasn't the cut. The cut was we dropped back to a huge wide shot up this incredibly beautiful valley. And it didn't matter if that ball went into the cup or not because it was about the people coming together and where they were and just the magnitude of it. And to me, that's what Lost is. It's, it's the scope. Well, I, I have heard it said that Lost is one of the most cinematic shows ever made. and I. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was really one of the first shows to, to think about sort of the new technology, how people are watching things at home, and then take that even further into what they call the extended experience and all of these other platforms. Well, it's interesting because it, it sort of started with not only the cinema, cinematic quality that we were talking about, but the cast we had. We had some people who are known. Naveen had done English Patient. He's a wonderful actor. Matthew Fox, of course, was a known actor. Terry O'Quinn was a known actor. Um, had been on Alias a lot and, and many other things. And a lovely... They're all fabulous actors. But many of them, in the very beginning, Evangeline, Josh, nobody knew who they were. So from my experience in features, when if the studio or the company you're working with, the, let's be honest, there's never enough money. I don't care what you do in life. There's never enough money. <laughs> if you're going to make television or you're going to make a feature, I don't care what the budget is, there's never enough money. You have to figure out how to stretch it. So I looked at it and I called up my, my publicist at the time and, and one international, one domestic, and said, look, the only way I can think of is to get these people known is to stretch our advertising dollars. And even though the studio is being great to us, it's a finite amount of money, but publicity is free advertising. So what can I do for you? And they looked at me and they said, what planet did you fall off of? And because this doesn't usually happen. And I said, well, from where I come from, this is what we do. But I would really like, let's set our goal, by the end of season one, we have the women of Lost in Vanity Fair or L or whatever, and the men of Lost in GQ. And so we went from not knowing who these actors were to pretty much exactly that. And I think Josh was in 50 Sexiest Men, and Daniel's been there, and I mean, it works. But what you do in order to broaden the experience is really 
to me what it's about. It, it's not just a job, it becomes a lifestyle. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's, um, the hours don't count. I mean, you, you can't look at the hours and say that's it. It, it is a lifestyle. I don't know if my son would like that, but... <laughs> you, you had mentioned when we were talking a little bit beforehand, um, what keeps you going? You know, you thought when you first took this show that you would be on it for maybe three years, maybe four, maybe five years, but here we are taking it all the way to its natural conclusion, the written yeah. conclusion. What keeps you going with these crazy long hours, all the stress, all the problem solving, and, and I know there are fun times in between that. Yeah. Uh, really, it's Damon and Carlton. It's the writing. I mean, you can make a movie or a short or anything, but the story is the basis. The story is what it's all about. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Particularly for an American audience. You know, the French will go look at a day at the bicycle races, and that's great, but we don't do that. We want a story. And these stories are just incredible. Right when you think the character's going this way, the character goes that way, and you go, of course, why didn't I see that? I mean, they still surprise me. The stories are the basis. They are paramount for everything. And I honestly thought, oh, maybe three years. I don't know if I could get tied down that long. Uh, I will tell you that I have never done anything this long in my life. I have never held a job this long in my life. And I'm going to stay till the end because it's great. At least you'll know the, the finale before everybody else by doing that. Uh, well, it's... Uh, It'll be a good one. <laughs> it's going to be a just, good one. Just a little teaser there. Yes. So you talked about the cast a couple of minutes ago. What is the producer's role and, and the director's role within that whole casting process as you interpret the story and those people who will interpret the story to essentially the rest of the world for you in that as you've captured them on film? As you go from episode to episode, we have guest cast. Many times Damon and Carlton will write with a specific actor in mind. That's great. Many times they write and we go, okay, we have to find this person. We have casting director, um, full, full casting set up in L.A., and we have a terrific local casting director, and we go out and we start looking. It is always a consensus, more so, and I think most importantly, for the Jack Bender or the guest director, but the guest director always also goes through Jack as sort of, Jack is the overall, this is the look of the show. And just stepping out of the casting for a minute, I think one of the reasons it has worked so well, Jack and I never knew each other before JJ put us together on this show, sort of like, hi, we're going to Hawaii together. Um, <laughs> We found out within about three weeks that our taste is exactly the same. And I think that that is really what has made it work all these years from our end, is that if I am just too busy and I can't get there, I know that Jack's going to look at it with an eye like this. And there's a lot of times that Jack will go, go check it for me because I can't, I'm just too busy. And we know and we trust each other artistically completely that it will work so back to the casting normally my input is and a lot of it is is to minimize the phone chatter across the pond 
Jack and I will agree, and then Jack will go talk to Damon and Carlton, and we'll sort of agree there. And one last thing is, I, I sort of, I'm, I'm in a way the protector of like, let's not cast another white guy. <laughs> you know, I'm always pushing for, and, and I will say in general that the whole, the whole crew of, of writers and producers and, and directors are very aware of it. But every once in a while, you need a little nudge that, you know, one of the things that Lost brought to the world and really changed was the casting of the show. Now you expect it with Heroes and Flash Forward and all these people, but it was really amazing to go out with Koreans and Iraqis and who's really an Indian and, and <laughs> you know, the, the whole gamut of what we have and Jorge, who's Hispanic, and it's just, it's great. Well, that's some of that groundbreaking elements that we were talking about earlier about the show is that you have this terrific international cast and, and you use them in very interesting ways as well. And I think one of the first shows to make it acceptable to have subtitles on American television for some of these actors. That was interesting. Season one, we went out with a show that was almost half Korean subtitles. <clears throat> Damon and Carlton wrote it, to their great credit. Amazing. Jack and I looked at it and went, oh, uh... Wow, a lot of Korean here. And um, we got to talking about it and we thought, why not? Why shouldn't we do this? It, was, it hadn't been done. We decided to proceed down the road until the network said no. And we gave them all the reasons why they should. And so it, one of the watchwords on Lost is make sure you frame for subtitles. You know, because you need a little more chest room there to run the subtitles than the normal. So when the guest directors come over, uh, you know, you, you have to frame just a little looser on the bottom for those particular scenes. And that's something that just is really not too normal on most shows. One of those but other rules great. broke. Yes. That now heroes and other folks are doing as well. But I think it's wonderful because what it's been is you take these characters and... Who cares if it's Korean or it's Iraqi or whatever? It's normal. It's just human. Everybody is the same. You know, the, the same emotions, the same passions. It's the way it really ought to be. So I, I'm so pleased to be part of it. And I think you've received a, a number of accolades and awards and recognition for that diversity in film. That's a, a big topic mm -hmm. these days is diversity. Uh, within film and television. Actually, I think one of my favorites was season one, I got a letter from the Arab League thanking us for portraying Saeed the way we did. <laughs> I thought, that is rare. <laughs> well, and I think one of the reasons that, that J.J. might have also picked Gene, sort of having a sense of this strong international nature, is that uh, Gene has actually worked in 27 foreign countries throughout your career. How, how is it different, as a producer, how do you approach things, or is it different when you shoot in the U.S. versus other foreign countries, whether it's Asia or Europe or Latin America? I think what everybody sort of expects is the, well, what I call the Hollywood version of the ugly American. 
You know, it's like, oh, stand back. Here we are. Here comes Hollywood. We're going to show you how to do it. And that's really, well, it's not my personality. I, I, what I like to do is I will go in, I'll research history, it, it probably somewhat superficially because I'm always in a rush. But I want to know where I'm going and why because that starts to tell me how they will react and how they will think. And I think you have to be very cognizant of the society that you are in. And I've always thought, very honestly, that the answer to the question is in how you ask it. And so one of the things that film businesses, we impact. We impact people. Um, for the most part, we're a very good instant cash flow green industry. But we're also large, and we're very much the circus has come to town, and we come in with big <laughs> trucks, and we block people's driveways sometimes when we didn't mean to, and um, we, you know, we cause traffic jams when we don't really mean to, and so, so I'm very aware of the impact that we do, and one of the interesting things is that being the producer, it's really only the location department and the production department whoever talked to the outside. The rest of the people are very insulated. The grips only talk to the camera department. They only talk to each other within this insulated little world so that you're essentially moving this large ball throughout the universe. And you need to make sure that you smooth the way, you smooth the path, and that your impact is as as smooth and you are as least disruptive as possible. And that takes a lot of cooperation. It takes cooperation from the neighborhoods, from the cities, the counties, the whatever state, whatever agencies you're working with. And it takes a lot of time, which is one of the things that she's great at, by the way. Which I can tell you as being the film commissioner with the city and county of Honolulu, in the six years, we're now shooting, I guess, five and a half, I can count on one hand the number of calls and complaints that I've had about this show. And usually they're just more questions, and sometimes it's, hey, can I go to the set? It's not even a complaint. So to her credit, you know, this attitude has just been a godsend for us to be able to accommodate such a large show. Um, the other thing I can tell you is how it has gone into the public consciousness, and I'm wondering how many stories do you have about... Uh, people that you wouldn't expect uh, in all these different countries that you, you wouldn't expect in their experience with the show. I know we saw on this, this um, trailer a few minutes ago 230 countries. Are there more? I mean, is there any more? Isn't that 100% of the market? Yes. Yeah, it is. If you can turn a television on in this world, you can get lost. Um, which is amazing because... You don't think of it sitting here on this island, which is the landmass furthest away from any other landmass. We're wonderfully insulated. And so it's really only when you go back to the mainland on hiatus, which is mine is the shortest of anybody's, um, that you even really get much of a flavor of it. But it is, it is amazing. But I think also the fact that we are here has really incubated Lost. And to me, the fact that Lost is shot in Hawaii has so much to do with the success and, and sort of the outlook of the show. We have actors who still get together and like each other six years later. I mean, this, 
I don't know. I don't have such a history in, in TV, but I don't see it happening so much on other shows. Um, they're great. They can, I mean, my phrase is they can go to the grocery store and not be mobbed. If they come into Waikiki, then they run into the tourists. But for the most part, the populace is a very much... I love the Asian flavor of it. Is sort of, and yet I think it's an island flavor. The British are sort of like that. It's the island concept of everybody needs their bit of space because there's only so much island, so you don't bother the other person. And I think it really is. I mean, it's not that different than the British, interestingly enough. They let you be. And I think that that let you be attitude has been wonderful in allowing the cast to sort of... <laughs> Excuse me. The cast to sort of grow and develop their their characters, and the crew to come over here. And over the years, it's been fewer and fewer mainlanders. And we should talk about that too, because that's that's an interesting thing. Um, I was going to ask you, but it about helps develop the show. Your efforts. I know that you've done a tremendous amount with workforce development here in the island. Certainly, having a series here for six years and keeping everybody current and learning new techniques, particularly mm -hmm. as you know, the whole camera department's been evolving over the last few years. But if you could talk a little bit about all of those different ways that you've helped to develop the different workforce and the internship programs that have gone on, and what that means to you as a producer, why that is important from your perspective as a producer to do. When I started, it was very, very difficult. They, girls didn't do what I wanted to do. Um, there were really, I, I, Ida Lupino had been a director. Um, there was one other woman, unit production manager in the DGA. She did only commercials, and she did one feature once. And I knew her, Barbara Michaels. Um, it was very difficult to get hired. And, you know, mostly it was, it was okay as long as you were the PA and you could get the coffee. And... So I kept thinking, okay, I want to be a producer, I want to be a producer. And there were some people who helped me very much along the way. Um, a gentleman by the name of Norman Katz, another man, Sam Strangers, who had the bigger vision. A lovely man by the name of Chris Peterson, who, quick little side story, I, I was lucky enough to be the first woman ever allowed on board an aircraft carrier at sea. They thought because of my name I was a man. <laughs> when they found out I was a girl, it took about that many messages stacked up, so what's that, about two reams worth of paper, between the Chief of Naval Operations and the Admiral of the Sixth Fleet to get me on board this ship. At which point, it was why I got in the film business. Guys, it was me and 6,000 guys. <laughs> and I was 26. <laughs> um, but it was, and I had two 24-hour Marine Guards, but it was difficult. And so I think when you get lucky, whether it's the film business or the donut business, or it's about society. It is about helping out and adding to and bringing people along and furthering, and, and in my case, furthering the film industry, which I just love. And so since it's the first time I've ever really been on anything this long, I suddenly had the opportunity to do some amazing and wonderful and really fulfilling things. We have an internship program with Kamehameha. 
We take on roughly 10 interns a year, and Patricia, who used to run it, is here. And, um, and I think it's wonderful because just about every single one of them has gotten into film school, be it NYU or SC or CalArts, uh, except for there was one who, and I think this is just as valid, decided it wasn't for him and went into architecture. And I think that's great because what if you had to wait till you were 30 years old to find out you truly didn't like it? Um, we have an internship program. Actually, two of us, Tori, uh, who works in our camera department, and I separately put together um, internship programs with UH. And so we take on about 10 interns with UH each year. And then through the camera department, we have brought in, they start in as their video PAs. Uh, next year, if we're lucky, we get them in. We've been working with the union. They become camera loaders. They you've move got up. some great success stories from some of the folks going through that, too, don't you? Our Steadicam operator this year started as the rock stand-in on the rundown. Um, this is, that's a short move, and he is very good. The guy's got an eye. Uh, another guy we took in became a second assistant cameraman. Uh, we went, you know, you need to broaden it. It can't just be lost. So last year he went around the world doing Transformers 2. Um, they're members of the camera local. It's great. They've found a calling, and they're very good. So what advice would you give to folks who are just starting out? Uh, I know we have a number of folks here from ACM and, and other film schools. If you could recommend a path to someone, uh, and perhaps one or two, because I know there's no one way to get into the business, what are some thoughts on how to make yourself valuable, some things you need to know, or some work ethics you need to have? I would say, if you're starting out, get a job, any job, it doesn't matter what that job is, whether it's being a PA, or a laborer, or a casting assistant, get in the door, show up on time, do your best, and take the time to look around and see which part interests you. Not everybody's going to be a director, not everybody's going to be a producer, but there are some great jobs out there. I mean, it's when, if you stay and you hear Roland or Zach or Rob, our property master talk, there's, there's wonderful, very fulfilling jobs. And there's any number of ways to be creative because it is a collaborative art form. And it takes in just about anybody. It will accept any personalities if you are bringing something to the party. It's, it's great. Well, speaking of uh, achievement That's and right. collaboration, I know that we've got a couple clips here, and I don't know how many of you realize that Gene not only did some directing as well as doing the producing on these, particularly the uh, underwater sequences and some mm -hmm. of the second unit aerial sequences. So if, if you wouldn't mind talking to the booth and letting them know how you want to run these clips, that would be great. Let's just run the first one, and then we can stop and talk about it. And if you like, we can sort of open it up and take some questions and things.
engine's really beautiful, isn't she? So what did it take to make that amazing sequence? Well, it sort of starts with a phone call. Carlton called up one day and said, Gene, got to find a big boat. <laughs> As, uh, these guys with their boats and their airplanes, you know? <laughs> so, so we have some wonderful marine guys here in, uh, on the island. And we set them about looking for a very large boat. And uh, it really, we kept looking at boats and I go, no, it's not big enough. Parameters were, in theory, you were able to park two helicopters on the back of this boat. And this is what I love about, and it goes back to your other, how do you work when you come someplace. I go home one day thinking, I haven't found this boat yet. And I realize that my next door neighbor is the guy who does all the navigational stuff on all the Navy boats, the super ferry when it was around, all the big boats. And I went, I'm not talking to the right guy. So I go home, I open up the gate, I said, Terry, can I get you a beer? I need a boat. <laughs> My next door neighbor helped find that boat. <laughs> but in terms of doing it, it is a combination. It's, it's, we were hoping we could sort of start and stop, but I'll, I'll go through memory here. The actual aerials of the freighter itself on the water we did helicopter helicopter shooting. We did air to water. We had two helicopters out there. That was the part I do. Um, with So we had a camera chopper, a picture chopper, and the boat down below. So you sort of work it out, because in the olden days, I used to do a lot of aerials. But um, so we had a second set of cameras as we're doing the aerials, we had a second set of cameras and the AD with Daniel on the freighter below. So we could talk, walkie-talkie, and we would tell the AD, okay, we're coming around, send Daniel out, which is where you get those fabulous shots of Daniel running down as the picture chopper is pulling away. It's really, it's a, it's a ballet. It's like a dance. You work out the options, you play it all out with your little, you know, Tinker toys and, and, and little cars so that when you get out there, everybody's already so well rehearsed on paper that they know exactly where they need to be at what time. And in reality, we shot the rehearsal on that, and we did only two takes of Daniel running out. We then came back and we did various sizes, so where we came down lower and Daniel comes out so we could shoot from both above and sort of deck height. The part with the actors in the helicopter was we needed a huge area in order to shoot that. We brought the helicopter into one of the hangars at Barber's Point. We completely surrounded that helicopter with green screen so that when Yunjin is leaning out the helicopter door and screaming for Daniel, poor Daniel wasn't there. It was green. I mean, it is a feat of acting that is just, I mean, every time I look at it, I get, it bothers me. But it's, um, so if you look at it, it's all plates in the windows of the helicopters that are superimposed on the green screen. And 
it is amazing to me the performances that Jack got. I, I mean, to me, there is no director who can sort of peel the layers of emotion back like Jack Bender. It is, he just gets in there. And I look at it as I support and I give him the pieces and the elements to be able to pull it off. It's really, really. So, two helicopters, helicopter pilots, freighters, freighter captains, crews, um, the helicopter on the stage, and the visual effects to blow up the freighter, because obviously we didn't blow the poor guy's freighter up. So, so that was a combination of first unit, second unit, visual effects, and really clever editing. Oh, and then there was Harold, the freighter. We built an entire freighter interior on the stage. And if you look at that, it was absolutely seamless. So Harold in the freighter with the bomb was on stage. The bomb was on stage. Um, Harold running up the stairs was on stage, bursting out the doors on the boat. And so, that's a lot. You ready for clip number two? Yeah, let's do clip number two. How long did that take? Oh, so many days. Let's see, it was a day of helicopter shooting. It was a day of the people in the helicopter. And the scene with Harold was one of three or four scenes shot that day, on a different day. So, yeah, really, about two and maybe a third days, but a lot of planning. Let's run the next one.
do what's written in that journal. Our plane never crashes. Get ready for the final season. Catch up with Lost, the complete fifth season. That's a moment, huh? <laughs> I think I, you know, I still miss Charlie. I think everybody else here still misses Charlie. But what an amazing sequence. If you could talk a little bit about what you had to do to, to pull all of that together. And I know there was a little bit at the front end of it uh, that we didn't show that you'd wanted to talk about, too, actually, in the water. Yeah, well... I think a lot of you might remember that there was a whole sequence where Charlie and Desmond had gone out in the canoe. Charlie dove down under the water. It was That was all shot off the uh, west coast here, over by Electric Beach, practically in the ocean. So on that little part, I remember Carlton going up and going, oh my God, you got fish in the shot. So there's, <laughs> Charlie was diving down. Three or four fish went, went by. But so just going back for the whole sequence, what we did for the underwater sequence was we rented a barge because we wanted to use it as the bottom of the moon pool. So we thought, well, we'll get a part where we can go down underneath, show him swimming down to it, and then, so it was an incredible amount of visual effects. We took the barge out. We used the barge as both our base to jump off of and go into the water. Dom and a stunt double both, we would swim under the water and shoot the swimming down. We put a couple of set pieces so we could get something very close to Dominic's face. And then the rest of it, <coughs> excuse me, the rest of it was this visual effects creation underwater. When he came up in the moon pool, it was the tank stage at the studio, which we had completely lined, and it was basically the swimming pool that's, that's up there at DHS. Created the whole set, and that was all of Jack's part. And uh, then for this here, we had a set on stage, and then for the actual water coming in, we had this great effects guy, Archie Yahuna here. Um, we had taken two 20-foot, you know, mats and containers, cut them off, welded them together. The thing leaked like a sieve, so we would pour as much water in as was coming out at the same time. And um, recreated that portion of the set within these two tanks. And we're sort of, what I love as a producer is what I call cheap theatrical tricks. To me, that's the joy of it. You can spend a fortune and do it CGI, but how can you figure out how to do it with cheap theatrical tricks? So, because the net result, or the end result, the visual, is what really counts. What we did with that is we had a pettibone, reach fork, whatever you want to call it. We had nine yard dumpsters that we would fill with water and fire hoses so that we could add to the rush of the water. And we literally dumped water through that into our welded together Matson tanks into the set that we had built in the Matson tanks on the parking lot. And how do you work with the actors to get that kind of emotion when you've got all that sort of other interesting uh, Matson container 
garbage water dump stuff going on. That's that's Jack. That is what Jack is the best at. And I know Jack and Dom had many conversations leading up to that. Um, I will tell you that was that was the last night of the last day of shooting that season. We were so tired. Dom was so primed for his demise and his death scene. <laughs> and we were so tired we didn't realize we blew the window first. Now, the minute we blew the window, I knew I had made a mistake, and yes, we do make mistakes, because I now had glass in the water and I wasn't about to put Dom in that water. So I looked at the effects guy and I went, well, I scheduled this one wrong. Um, how long to clean it up? And he said, oh, about two to three hours. I went, that's a wrap. We shoot it tomorrow. So we came back, short crew, um, long conversation with Dominic, who's going, I, I don't die tonight. And um, <laughs> we shot it the next day. We shot it the next day because... The other thing you must always think about as a producer, even when you are tired, is safety comes first. And we do some pretty hairy things on Lost, but safety and protection and making sure that you take care of your people always comes first. So it was a perfect case in point. Well, I think that leaves us with a few minutes to open it up to any kind of questions that folks may have. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm old enough to remember television from the 50s, and there used to be a director, a line producer, an executive producer. Now there seem to be about 15 to 20 producers almost every show. It seems to have gone up almost exponentially over the last 30, 40 years. Is that true? Is it just my imagination? And why is it? There's a lot of producers. Um, if you think about the scope and the shape of those pictures and those TV shows in the 50s, you pretty much had two guys walking in the door in a waist shot, or what we call a cowboy, which is about at the knees. Um, and they would stand there and talk to each other like this. You wouldn't go in for close-ups. You wouldn't do money cutaways. They'd like sort of hold things up for the camera so it was in the frame. They were so much simpler. The audience expects so much more now. And in order to do so much more, you are still pretty much in the same time frame. Lost is a little bit longer than most. Uh, most shows shoot seven to eight days. We shoot eight days plus two days of what we call second unit. Um, we cram so much into that that there is no way that one person could physically do it. I delegate. I have, there is a producer on the mainland who is the post-production producer. We probably talk five times a day, but he runs the lab, the visual effects, all the ADR, all the mixing, it's all over there. He interfaces with Damon and Carlton, has his own meetings. I'm totally in the loop of what's going on because I will call him up and go, what's the schedule? We have to change this. We drop this scene. We have to figure out how to make it work in this time frame. But um, it just takes more people. Why is that? Do you think there's any federal Uh, that's a different conversation for the Producers Guild. <laughs> but I, I do know that some some producer credits come 
with the different kind of financing that's been available now. So sometimes they're not always physical producers, uh, as with the music or the visual effects or what Gene does. Sometimes it's people who are able to contribute financing for the project as well. There's a variety of ways to, uh, to arrive at a producer credit. Yes, you. Yes. Yeah. My name is Raquel. I'm from Spain, Cuatro. I would like to ask you something. Congratulations for your fantastic work. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I would like to know how has it affected your work as a producer, the issue of the secrecy of the plot? We work at it very hard. We do not email anything. <laughs> somebody on the mainland made a mistake once and emailed the script to somebody else, and that script was in an agent's office almost immediately. Um, it was, we do not email scripts. We do not email schedules. We, uh, the actors get very frustrated with me. Unless we put the script in their hand, they don't get it. Uh, call sheets are a little more difficult. Um, I know there's a gentleman right here who takes every opportunity he can to find out where we are. Um, I've been known to move trucks to block views. Uh, you do what you can. And then there's just a certain amount that... Uh, you know, we're, we're in a public place with public people. You can't hide it. I think the spoilers are, in general, they're bad for the audience. Uh, it affects the network because if the audience knows what's going to happen, they're not going to tune in, they lose income. So, and then that affects how much money we get next year to do the show. So we do everything we can to prevent the spoilers. At the same time, isn't it nice that people are interested enough to want to know? Yeah. I think you had a question, or no? Yes. Um, I was wondering, from the uh, from the inception of the idea of loss, how did it uh, advance to the pilot? Where did the money come from? You know, there's always so much going on in Hollywood and everything, and there's so many good things and bad things. And how does the where does the money come from? The, the initial money. Well, we have a license fee with ABC, so the license fee pays for lost, as does Act 88, which helps because we have a, for a television show, we're on the big side. So Act 88 is a wonderful help for us. Even at the very inception, the germ of the idea? At the inception, I, well, that that's a question for Lloyd, really. Mm. Uh, I was not on the project at that point. I think at that point it's the idea of how do we create a TV show. And once that TV show took on its own life, I know year one was Act 88, but then, excuse me, 221, but then Act 88 came in. And I know for us to be here in Hawaii, that's a big, big part of it. This woman behind me. Oh, I like the score and music so much compared to the older movies, which are wonderful classics. The music used to kind of really overpower everything with symphonic music. But are you the one that, or who picks this, the music? Because a lot of it is very subtle, and it creates the mood. And that's one of the greatest things I think about laws. Is that your department? I mean, 
No, Michael Giacchino had been working with JJ before, so JJ brought Michael on to do Lost. He's a brilliant composer. Um, he's been doing a lot of features lately. He's a just a terrific composer, and I think I think his music is so appropriate for this show. It, it really is. He does all the music. He score each episode is scored with an orchestra. Oh, and he the one man does all. He writes it all, yes. Oh, and do you kind of pick, do you have uh, much... Uh, uh, no, we send Michael, we send Michael the cut, Michael scores it. Oh, okay. yeah. And that's unusual in television today, isn't it? How many shows do you have a sense of that actually have original score? Not very many, not very many. But no, we have, we have a full orchestra. We do full orchestra sessions. I think there's a question. When did you know that you wanted to be in the film industry? Um, for people who haven't gotten into film school or haven't gotten inspiration early on, if that was the case with you, where do you kind of guide them or where do you think they should start who haven't gotten to it? Um, I didn't go to film school. I was going to be an oceanographic engineer. <laughs> um, I actually, some people from Scripps came to talk to undergraduates, of which I was one, and they said, we don't want you, you're a bunch of math science geeks, and we want people who are more well-rounded. And I went, oh my God, I have to get more well-rounded. Well, I always was sort of interested in the theater, maybe I'll take a history of the theater class and get well-rounded so I can go to graduate school at Scripps. And uh, that was sort of the beginning of the end, here I am. So I think it, there are so many paths that lead to the film industry and so many people bring so many different skill sets that are actually so valuable that it really doesn't matter just jump in so do you think taking classes then for that purpose or just getting kind of a general feel i think classes can always help it gives you a history of it i mean you don't want to reinvent the wheel which is one thing I would say about, you know, sometimes when we have guest directors, they want to come in and do something with no, we already did that, um, let's do this one a little bit different. But um, I, I would say go for it and just look for the soft spot. Get in wherever you can. There's a gentleman in the back here behind the camera. Yes, you. Gracious, yes. First thing is we went out to talking to us via schedule. It seems it seems in this day and age that networks they love the procedural show like CSI, Law and Order. You know, 18 seasons of Law and Order. You don't have to have watched a previous episode to get it. You can get into that that show. You know, now um, the show like this, it's a serialized show. Um, was it hard to sell the network on that? A show where you kind of have to. You know, it's hard to jump on just at any time, so... I would have to say that's not really my purview. I would think that it was difficult to sell, um, but given the fact that Lloyd had started the show, but when it was time to get greenlit, I think they thought about it long and hard, because we were the last show to be greenlit that season, I'm quite sure. There may, be a, there may have been one after us, but not that I'm aware of. Hi, this is Yes. Hi. Um, I just have a question. Um, uh, I've recently heard the executive producer, I think it was uh, Carlton Q, say that um, 
it's going to be difficult to recreate a show similar to, to the, well, at the level of quality of, of Lost because of various factors, including uh, you know, changing economic times, changing uh, uh, the you know, television in general is changing because of the internet and other factors. I just want to know, um, do you agree with this and what does that mean? And my follow-up question is, uh, this is a very international, uh, internationally um, inclined uh, show. And I'm like you, I am internationally inclined myself. I was wondering, would the next generation of television, could it be shows where we try to uh, target a global viewership and maybe even uh, pursue uh, some uh, scenarios, what if scenarios, including people of from, from eras of conflict who interact with each other and we explore hypothetical situations of what it would be like if there was eventually a peace between two peoples or everything. So can it be used as a bridge in the future television to, uh, between peoples? Two questions. Yes. Really good. Um, the first question, yes, I have often said that I feel like I'm making the most beautiful dinosaur in the world. <laughs> I don't think that something like Lost would be able to be mounted again for quite some time, given the, given the current economics. Uh, it's, it's exquisitely wonderful. The fact that we are still shooting film, which to me, film just has a romance to the look of it that is not... 24P will get there, but it's not there yet. And Lost just maintains that look. It's part of the cinematic feel of it. Uh, so, and it's it's large. We have a large cast. We are on distant location. There are all number of, of factors that make large lost very large. I don't think it will happen again for a long time. So I am really honored to be part of this whole endeavor. With regard to your second question, which is, can you take television to bridge societies? I think that's the best use that you could possibly have for television. I think it's what Lost started. I would love to see it continue, and I would love to be a part of it continuing. Thank you. Yes, he's next, and then you. Yeah, okay. Hi. Uh, I just wanted to ask a question dealing with Easter eggs. The fact that they seem uh, intentional for the viewers, the people who are the loyal fans, to look at things in the show that might not necessarily be relevant, but they give everybody a little kick because they notice the small intricacies of the show. But now I'm seeing Lost as an Easter egg on another show, Flash Forward, that just started on ABC, where they actually advertise Oceanic Airlines in the background and talk about it having a perfect safety record, which is really great. You have to stop the film to see it. But I thought that was, was that a producer? Uh, a gimmick from Lost to Flash Forward because it's got some of the same uh, background people? Damon and Carlton and Michael Goy are great friends. Ah, okay. <laughs> and I think it's great. So. Fantastic. I think you had a question in the front row here? Yeah. Uh, well, it was a hard question as well. just said that some uh, don't think that um, a show like uh, Lost is going to come out in a short time, but so many shows right now are claiming to be the new lost. Not only Fastball, but also Fringe and uh, Happy Founders. I mean, uh, how do you feel about that? Do you think that it's uh, possible to have a show like Lost? I 
I wish them all the best of luck. I really do. I think any successful show, it is so hard to get a show going, period. There are so many hurdles and so many things that you have to to do in order just to get a show on the air. I say good luck to all of them. It's great for the business. It's great for the industry. It's great for the economy. I hope they're all successful. I really do. And gentleman in the colorful shirt and the hat. Yeah, sorry. Oh, girl, sorry. Yeah, that's right. Um, I was hoping that uh, the last parting gift for the uh, folks of Oahu that you have your premiere, Donna, I was going to meet you again before the live premiere. I think that's in the works. It's not finished yet, but I think that's in the works. Yeah. I would like to know how things change. I think the really interesting thing is they didn't change. Um, it was a perfect continuum. I mean, Damon was there in the beginning. Damon carried on. JJ was involved. Look at that, the, the early scripts. I know he consulted with Damon, and it just kept going, and Lost became a life of its own. It was a, a total and perfect continuum. I think we have time for a couple more questions way in the top there. And then the one, and then behind you. Could you talk a little bit more about the post process? I know you said there's a separate producer, but for example, if there's a director working on consecutive episodes and everything's happening in LA, but maybe that director has a specific visual style that needs to go in an episode that's maybe not the name it's interesting because at, at any given point, we are in early prep on one episode, prepping a second episode, shooting a third episode, and in post-production on anywhere from two to four episodes. So you're tracking, you, I, I'm tracking those all at the same time. The director's well, this season, for example, we have, except for one, almost all directors who've been with us before, guest directors. So this season, in that sense, will be easier. When they have a different editorial style, the editors will sort of send up a flag and say, oh, they're asking for this, they're asking for that. Uh, ultimately, Damon and Carlton have final cut before it goes to the network. So the director, there, there's very specific you know, rules and regulations between each guild. The editor gets his assembly, the director gets his cut, the producer gets his cut, the network gets their cut, they send it back for notes, then there's the final cut. So the director can try some different things and I think that's great that they do because every so often there's wonderful things come out of, you know, you don't want it all just cookie cutter. But, um, but when it strays too far, when it goes too far astray from the actual look of the show, it's sort of, we bring it back in. Awesome. Just out of curiosity, what applications do you use for editing and doing your compositing work? The compositing work is all over. I mean, it's everything from just, I'm trying to think, we just switched. We're, we're with a different company this year, but we farm it out all over. I mean, I will get map paintings from Washington State. We get composites from 
uh, there's a guy who lives in Santa Fe. It's all digital, which is wonderful. Which, getting back to what we are able to do, um, my post producer and I last year became the first show to be 100% digital. As in, actually, we did it a little too quick. I, I think technology, we should have waited one season. But um, we shoot film every night. It's on the airplane to the lab. It goes through the lab. By the time the editors walk in in the morning, that film has been streamed to their avid. They go to work. We never touch film again. There, It is tapeless. The only piece of tape is the piece of tape that we deliver for our delivery requirements to ABC because they're not tapeless yet. I think you had a question behind the gentleman? It is an ongoing dialogue. It is, frankly, the only way Let's be honest, it is television, and television is the film business. Um, as I mentioned before, there's never enough money, and this is not a slur. It's just the way it is. We always want to make it bigger, better, whatever. Yes, there's a constant ongoing dialogue of, gee, can we do this, or what if we wrote that, or, you know, I'll get the outline and I'll call up and I'll go, wow, you know, this is a lot here. What if we could combine this? Uh, that's just being responsible. That's being a responsible producer and responsible showrunners and we do it constantly. I think we have time for one more question. Yeah. Uh, I'm a starting producer, so I really admire you. Thank you so much for the fantastic show and the Thank viewer. You. It's been a great pleasure. And I just want to ask you, do you feel nostalgic about the ending? How do you feel? Totally. Yeah. Totally. It's my second home. Well, on that, a big round of applause for the